Hey there, everyone. My name's Pat Rothfuss, and I'd like to welcome you to World Builders Weekly, the podcast. Each week, we bring you the best in everything geek, books, board games, interviews with authors, and other notable cool people. Even better, this is all for a good cause, because World Builders is a charity that works to make the world a better place. And we are so glad that you've decided to join us. I love our little intro. Hello, everyone. I'm assuming you can hear us. Um, how is everybody doing? Welcome back to World Builders Weekly. Uh, we didn't decide who should start on the thing, but Gray's name is first, and I just kind of <laughs> bulldozed over that. <laughs> okay, we just won't mention it. Nobody will notice the, the uh, difference between things. We'll fix it in post. Who are you? What are you doing on this stream? Uh, hi, guys. I'm Zay. I'm the director of operations here at World Builders. Um, it's nice to see all of you. And I'm Gray. I'm the executive director here at World Builders. It is wonderful to be back at World Builders Weekly. And uh, we, every week, bring you the latest news from our particular corner of the world, treasures and special deals from our marketplace. Uh, we have that today. We have trivia. We have nerdy tangents. And even some geeks doing good stories, thanks to your incredible support. We have some more of that today, too. And today is one of those wonderful lucky days when we also have a guest, uh, S.P. Divya, whose uh, debut novel, Machinehood, just released last week. And uh, congratulations for having an almost out of the pandemic debut. We really thank appreciate you. having you here back again. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. But first, we have a few announcements before we dig into the meaty discussion about, uh, <clears throat> about Machinehood. Yeah, first up, um, we have a new addition to our World Builders family, uh, Dre Dre, who is the new baby of Nikki and Mike. Mike is our warehouse manager. You guys have got a chance to meet him a couple times on World Builders Weekly. Maybe one day we'll get to have that baby on. <laughs> but congratulations, Mike. We're super excited for you. Mm -hmm. um, also, <clears throat> we have another new arrival, not quite as exciting, but uh, but also fun. We've been excited for a while about the second edition of TAC, which is the game based on the game in the book. It was developed by James Ernest and Patrick Rothfuss. Greater Than Games publishes a fantastic copy of it, and they just came out with their second edition which has 62 wooden pieces, three different game boards. I know some of you ordered signed game boards. Those will be shipping out as well. Um, and there'll be a link to the actual place you can order it. The good news is we were able to take it off of pre-order and put it into shipping now. So you can see the whole lineup of various tack things in there. But the exciting thing is, is that we have a whole pallet with boxes full of them that we get to ship out today. And yeah. we have a really cool update from Project Hope. If you guys remember quite a while ago, back last year in April, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a chance to team up with um, Project Hope at our Geeks for Hope fundraiser. 
Um, and now we're kind of creeping towards the end of things, hopefully starting to see our economy um, and the health of our nation come back together. But we had some updates from that. So over the course of from raising money and awareness around the pandemic, um, they were able to deliver 14.4 million plus PPE to 19 countries. That includes the US um, trained 93,000 plus healthcare workers across 52 countries. And one of the things that I think is really great is um, now as we move towards uh, the ends of things, they are administering vaccines. 1,600 plus of those are in the Navajo Nation, which you know is always great when we're reaching communities that aren't otherwise um, able to obtain things as directly as us here. But overall, it's supported 150 plus countries. So that is just, for me, awesome. It's really great when we can have a tangible look at the efforts we made. So thank you again, guys. A year later, we're seeing some awesome things coming from that fundraiser. So yeah, lovely support from our community. Yeah. And uh, kudos to you, Zay, because you're the one who brought it to us in the first place. <laughs> it um, took some convincing, I think, for us did. to even do it that did. fundraiser. <laughs> it did, but uh, it paid off really well. It is time for trivia. Ah, uh, yes, this particular one, one of my favorite characters, Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange, now remember this one, you can go ahead and answer the chat. Divya, uh, if you know the answer to this, feel free to chime in. Dr. Strange earned his name before he ever learned magic. Which kind of a doctor is he, an MD or a PhD? And anybody? I, I believe I do know this one. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Take a guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is uh, I think he was an MD. You are correct. Right? <laughs> and go ahead, Zay. You can say it. He was also a PhD. A PhD. So he had both is the answer for any of you. So if some of you said one or the other. I think that we were looking for both. Well... <laughs> So funny you say question. that. Our <laughs> geek in the van is chuckling right now. Um, we had some discussions about this uh, yeah. because the fact is, is that it, it was a bit of a trick question. We were looking for both. And um, we decided that we wanted the whole point of trivia is to be fun. So we didn't want somebody who said MD to be like, no, you're only half right. Try again. You know, that doesn't work. <laughs> So if you said MD or PhD, you get one entry in the prize draw, whatever we call it, the monthly prize draw. Um, but if you said both, you get three entries in it because we want to reward the idea. If, if you Google, does Dr. Strange have an MD or a PhD? The number one result from a very trusted source says he had both. And we would like to encourage people to do critical thinking and research and vet their resources until such a time as we have the kind of thing like you put in machine hood, Divya, where we could say, yes, a 90% expert rating in such and such a thing. I I will confess that I had I I had literally a rant put into the script here because I'm like, I want to say that I feel like by rewarding the people who only did one or the other, 
we are contributing to the decline of critical thinking in the United States and possibly the end of civilization. But I was reminded that we're supposed to be having fun, so I will stop ranting about it now. The new trivia question. Uh, so this one, do not answer in the chat, as y'all know. Please answer in our DMs. You can also message questions at waterbuilders.org to answer this, but any of our social media is a fine platform to reach out to us. New trivia question. Skiff started as an orphan pickpocket, but ended up a hero of Valdemar in the world created by Mercedes Lackey and illustrated by Larry Dixon. What was the name of Skiff's chosen companion? So keep that one in your pocket. Hopefully we'll have some people entered into the prize. And that's a pretty interesting one. Gray, you've been working a little bit on some projects related to this. Do you know the answer to this trivia question? Um, I do, but mainly because I researched it to, to come up with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I will say I have been a fan of the Valdemar world. Um, and uh, we actually are working with Larry Dixon and Mercedes Lackey now to come up with some uh, Valdemar uh, merchandise, like a Valdemug and uh, coins possibly from Shire Post Mint. Um, but they have a, uh, the newest Valdemar books coming out in June. And that's part of the reason why we're talking about it. But it is, it is not a trick question. It's a very straightforward question. So um, I, was, I was nice. This one I don't know. <laughs> I don't either, so that's fine. I read more science fiction than fantasy. I don't think I read this particular series. So I've heard of it. Yeah, it's a very good one. It does break with some tropes, uh, uh, most notably that it's some of the early queer fantasies. All right. And I think we can get on with the, the main attraction here and talk about machinehood. Yes. I thought that I've been like, chomping at the bit and bouncing to do it here. Um, so I guess we should start with uh, talking about Divya. I'm going to read your bio. Hopefully it still applies. <laughs> um, I'm using the same one that we used uh, during the lesson. But uh, So SB Divya is a lover of science, math, fiction, and the Oxford comma. She enjoys subverting expectations and breaking stereotypes whenever she can. In her past, she's used a telescope to find Orion's nebula, scuba dive with manta rays, and climb to the top of a thousand-year-old stupa. S.B. Divya is the author of Machine Hood, Runtime Contingency Plans for the Apocalypse, as well as co-editor of Escape Pod, a weekly science fiction podcast theme, which also has an anthology coming out soon. Um, and we are here particularly to talk about Machine Hood, which you can uh, backorder here at World Builders of Market. Uh, we, we don't have any in stock at the moment, but we are working on getting it. And uh, both Zay and I were lucky enough to get um, digital advanced reader copies. And so Zay, you wanna talk about the book? Um, yeah, so there's a review here, I'm assuming is the good indication. Um. Sure, or, or the summary. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it says, from the opening manifesto to its indigenous technologies, Machinehood builds an inspiring and believable vision of the future that is both thought-provoking and hopeful. It will leave you wishing that tomorrow could arrive a little sooner. And I have to say, um, yeah, this review is true. Also, just from 
my personal thoughts. This book is meaty. Um, it is amazingly complex. The character development is strong and the world building is so strong and so immersive. Um, I, I don't actually really comprehend how you fit all of this into one book, but uh, yeah, there it has, I mean, you could, you could tell 800 stories from just the small interactions in this book. And so I don't know how you even narrowed it down into the one story you told, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to develop a reputation for doing this because uh, people had similar comments about uh, my novella runtime, which was 100 pages. And they were kind of like, there's so much packed into 100 pages. You could have easily written this into a you know, 500 page book. <laughs> So I guess this is just uh, how I write. I, I pack a lot of stuff in always. So Zay and I uh, uh, collaborated. We both put in questions and I think we uh, ended up with twice as many questions at the end of our list after we had combined our our different things. So we will. Great, we can go fast. Yeah, we'll, we'll go through the lightning round. Um, you know what, yeah. if you ever have, if you have tangents in here or, or additions to, to the topics, let it flow. I, I, I should also ask, uh, Divya, how have your, you know, you've done other interviews. Um, where do you stand on, you know, spoilers? Do we try really hard not to? Do we say at a certain point, hey, we're going to save the spoilers for the end or something? Or are we still just keeping it quiet? I have been avoiding spoilers so far Good. in my interviews because I figure it's early days. The book has um, just been out for a week. People are still getting their hands on it. And there are people who've guessed some of the twists, but there are a lot of people who haven't. So I would rather keep it spoiler free yeah. uh, for their sakes because you know, it is right. kind of this exciting thriller uh, plot and, and there are some twists and turns in there that are fun to, cool. to discover. Yeah, in the list of questions, we have a few places where like, let's be careful asking this question because it would be easy to make this a spoiler. So don't do it, you know, that kind of thing. So cool. The first question is mine. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you. One of the big themes in machinehood is the aspect of personal privacy and uh, performative living. You know, uh, and and it's not going to be a spoiler to say that, you know, the modern day incarnation that I would picture of this would be influencers, reality TV shows, things like that. Um, and that's part of what I think is already our reality. But how much of what you wrote do you think already is in our reality? I think a lot of it is already in our reality. Just to, to give context for the audience, Machina takes place about 75 years from now in the year 2095. And in terms of privacy, it's pretty much gone, especially in public spaces. There are swarms of little tiny um, drone cameras just everywhere all the time, keeping their eyes on everyone all the time. And by everyone, I really do mean everyone. And by all the time, yeah, they, they get into your house. They're like little gnats, you know, they're everywhere and they're hard to get rid of. And so people have, have gotten accustomed to the idea that someone could always be watching. But the reality is, of course, there's so many people and there's only so much time that no one's watching your every move, you know, unless they need to go back and review it typically. But at the same time, if you do have a bit of a following, people are paying attention and you can monetize that and get tips. And so this is a way that a lot of people earn their living as they're just living their daily lives. 
And I think we're seeing a lot of the underpinnings of that today, not just with, you know, influencers and reality TV, but really everybody out there with a cell phone camera taking pictures of themselves, anyone who's on any form of social media with their own personal lives, you know, is already participating in this particular economy. And money comes in not so much directly at this point, but indirectly in terms of advertising goes to the platform builders. They in turn provide us those platforms and then content creators themselves can on certain of these platforms, right? Earn a living, especially this one, Twitch and YouTube and places where, you know, you're really trying to cultivate that following and, uh, and get people to watch what you're doing intentionally. I just wanted to kind of carry that forward because I was thinking about how our morality have shifted, you know, over the past several hundred years, especially going from pre-Victorian era through the Victorian, you know, times through America's very sort of puritanical view of the body. And what if, you know, privacy went away again? Because I think in terms of like ancient, ancient history, people didn't have any real privacy. You lived in a village and maybe you had some walls around you, but at some point in human history, there were no walls. We were just like all the other animals. We were just hanging out amongst each other. We didn't necessarily have clothes um, and people weren't as inhibited. So being a science fiction author and wanting to play with this idea, I was like, well, so what if we, you know, push the current trend of exchanging data and services um, for a view into our lives and everyone's totally fine with it. You know, they're not inhibited. They don't care that cameras are going to be watching them shower and dress and, you know, throw their trash on the street, like whatever it is that they're doing as they go about their, their daily lives. So it was a really sort of fun and intriguing concept to play with. Doubly so when I started developing this sort of thriller plot that there's this shadowy organization, the machine hood, they've come up they're causing a ruckus and everyone's like, how do you even keep secrets in this world, right? Nothing is secret, not even for the governments for the most part. You have to try very, very hard to be in a secure place enough to not have the world see and hear what you're doing. And uh, and so that added like an extra level of fun when it came to setting up the action, setting up the espionage, you know, and uh, working that through the story. So, I mean, you do have some characters that don't seem to need privacy, namely one of the main characters. Um, And also there's this connection to family that's that's very uh, different than the nuclear family in the U.S. or or even the kind of um, individualism that we have in the U.S. And I'm I'm wondering, um, you know, what influenced this kind of character development? It's it's a little different than a lot of other modern science fiction that I think we see. Uh, that's my culture, my background from South India, where we, you know, one of the characters, one of the two main characters, Nithya, is in Chennai, which is in the state of Tamil Nadu, where all of my family are from, where I was born, I spent the first several years of my life. And family is a, is really a core component um, for me and, you know, for my family, 
my extended family, which is huge. My mom is one of eight. So I have a lot of cousins. I have even more second cousins. <laughs> and I feel like that sort of individualism was fine for, you know, the very American ethos of like the classical age of science fiction. But I personally want to tell different stories and I find it really interesting um, to look at uh, things like manga and anime, um, even uh, the stuff coming out of Korea now, that there is this much tighter bond to family and friends and your, you know, your village, your society, why you do the things that you do. In the in the, a lot of the lone wolf stories that we get in you know traditional American science fiction, the hero is is out like striking it out on his own because usually a guy, and you know leaving everything else behind, and he's doing it because it's the right thing to do, right? Like that's the superhero mythos. Like I'm doing it because of the moral good. Nobody knows it but me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not so much I'm doing it because I have these people I love and I want them to have a good life. And, and that's what's really motivating me. But I think ultimately for most people, that is what motivates them is these connections that we have with other human beings. That's why we love the internet. Um, you know, we like connecting with each other. It's a central part of being human. And for me, the, the family connections are really, really important. And I want to be able to tell those stories of, you know, the annoying parents or aunts and uncles or sisters and brothers or, you know, the cousins that can help you out with your pandemic wedding in your backyard, just whatever, um, whatever those ties are, you know, whether they're good or bad, the you know, families, obviously both, but I think it's, it's there. And, um, anyone who's not thinking about their parents when they're trying to save the world, I, I question their fundamental morality to begin with. So, um, so I really wanted to bring that in and I, I tend to bring that into um, a lot of my other science fiction and fantasy as well. It's, it's kind of an echoing theme in my work at this point. Yeah, I gotta say there were no, I, I didn't see any throwaway characters in there. Like I cared about everybody and, and really wanted to know what was going on with everybody. And when they would do something I didn't expect or in some cases do better than I would have expected. It was a, it's like hearing your friend is in trouble and thinking, oh boy, they're going to do that thing. And then they maybe don't, or they do, or they do something worse. And I felt that same kind of engagement. Um, and it really, it made the stakes higher in the entire book because there were so many people that I cared about in that. So awesome. uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, but to go back to one of my favorite parts, I, I love it when people do this, is the the quotes at the beginning of every chapter, many of which were from the Machinehood Manifesto. Um, and it was, it, it, it interestingly, it goes into a different period of, you know, who is the villain in this book? Is there a villain in this book? You know, what, what exactly does that go? But um, I guess I'm just mainly wondering the process of coming up with those quotes. I mean, did you write out a Machinehood Manifesto that's sitting out there somewhere in a document? Or did you just say, I for this one, I, I need did. to have this particular quote and make it up to order. All right, I was, I should have been better prepared for that question. I'm gonna disappear for a second okay. and <laughs> say, yes, 
I did write the entire manifesto because uh, it is sort of evilly fun to write a manifesto. <laughs> I had a lot, uh, I drew a lot of enjoyment from it, probably more than I should have. And then I, I went ahead and made these, uh, let's see, it's all right in here. Oh my. Um, like I made like a little accordion fold brochure with the logo and like oh. these have been going out with some of the, the signed book seals um, that uh, like the Strand put together a book box. And so I was like, here, like let people who read the book have the whole thing. And then you have the whole text in order rather than, you know, the random excerpts in the book uh, for the, the chapter epigraphs. I was trying to pull quotes from the manifesto that kind of matched the theme of mm -hmm. that particular chapter. And so, uh, so it's all, you know, completely out of order, but no, I did, uh, early on decide that it would be better to write a full coherent manifesto. And it kind of helped me get my, my own thoughts into the headspace of the machine hood. What is it that they're after? What are they agitating for? And, um, and what are their core beliefs? Because that's usually what you find in people's manifestos. I had a lot of fun studying some of the more uh, famous manifestos, you know, including the Communist Manifesto and the Unabomber's Manifesto, both of which were very interesting reads. Yeah. Um, and then I also pulled in like the UN Declaration of Rights because ultimately that's what the, the machine hood is uh, saying that they're agitating for, you know, some amount of personhood and protections for intelligent machines. And so it was interesting to kind of see, like, what have we formalized for ourselves first, you know, for human beings, and then try to extend that and expand it to robots, to cyborgs, to animals, to, you know, potentially non-living entities, which is already starting to happen. Um, that was part of the inspiration for that was uh, personhood for like the Wanganui River in New Zealand. I think there's another river or lake in India that's gotten some amount of legal rights and protections. And so, and obviously in America, corporations have various types of rights as legal entities. So how do we expand and extend that to uh, a very intelligent, very capable robot, for example, that's maybe not sentient or conscious in the way that we think of ourselves, but is sufficiently complex that perhaps, you know, we should at least consider um, that it has some degree of autonomy and, and protections. Do you feel as the author when, you know, you're writing those kinds of things that you have allegiance to like one side or the other? Your, your book is so ambivalent to, to not having, you know, this really straightforward, like good and evil side that I, I wonder, you know, when you're writing how do you relate to the characters in that sense? I take sides on certain things, but it, for, for some of the bigger questions in machinehood, I really did want to explore the questions and the possible answers. And I don't think I have the answers. These are really, really big questions <laughs> um, that, you know, people in AI are talking about, like in, you know, in Silicon Valley, but also a lot of academics, um, you know, there are entire departments now devoted to AI and ethics, both in terms of present day AI, like how we deal with big data and machine learning, but also kind of some of these future conceptions 
And so I don't think there are any easy answers ever for these kinds of things. And uh, I certainly don't claim to have the answers. I try in terms of the characters and the story to put myself into these different headspaces. Um, I'm always fascinated, more fascinated by antagonists than villains. I think, you know, villains tend to be evil, usually just for the sake of being evil, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm very much of the, you know, everyone is the hero of their own story. So I think I, as an author, I would like to understand the motivations, you know, of all the different uh, characters, the factors that interplay and conflict in the narrative. So sometimes I'm on one side and sometimes I'm on the other in terms of my brain space and where I am. Uh, in terms of the manifesto, as I was writing it, I definitely drank a little bit of my own Kool-Aid. I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if we could like extend these <laughs> rights to everybody, right? Like if we could live in a world where we see, you know, rocks and trees and beetles as, you know, worthy of respect and, and better treatment than we give them today and what would that world look like and that leads into actually the next novel that I'm the one that I'm working on that's not at all machinehood it's like a thousand years in the future but those kinds of questions sat with me after writing this book and I'm like I want to write a future where some of this actually comes true like then what does society look like but within this particular book I really just wanted my readers to think about these things you know the same way that I was thinking about them as I was writing it, uh, you know, what side would you fall on if somebody asked you this question? And, you know, where are your feelings on this? And have you even thought about it? And if you haven't, uh, maybe you should, because I think these are going to be pressing questions um, this coming century in reality. And um, so correct me if I if I get any of this wrong here, but you have a background and you hold degrees in uh, computational neuroscience, signal processing. You also uh, worked for a long time in electrical engineering. Um, when it comes to machine intelligence, there's also a, a little bit of like AI um, in your book. Did you did you draw on like your own background and imagination, or did you find yourself really getting into research when it came to this kind of? Uh, biotech and, and machine intelligence? Uh, for the AI stuff, I mostly drew on my own background and the work I've done um, and what I've studied. I try to make a point in machinehood of not immediately jumping to the standard science fictional AI that thinks and acts like a human being. And Thank instead, you <laughs> you're yeah. welcome. Um, and instead, you know, really try to uh, think about what I think we can achieve in terms of technology, you know, in the next several decades. And within the machine learning AI space right now, you know, people talk a lot about weak artificial intelligence and then strong artificial intelligence and now artificial general intelligence. These all are specific terminologies where we're trying to differentiate the level of sophistication of the software, the hardware, the structure of the code we write, and also what that software and hardware is capable of accomplishing 
um, both in terms of problem solving, but also navigating the real world. And so I decided to, to invent a whole new term because I figured by 2095, we, we will have moved on in a lot of these conversations and, you know, came up with SAI for sentient AI, which is the thing that most people intuitively think of when they think about robots and artificial intelligence but is not something we are anywhere close to having today um, in terms of something that we think we can build. And so, yeah. So for the biotech, however, um, that was probably a little bit more research. I've worked in biomedical devices, but it's not quite the same thing, but it's definitely a subject that I'm, I'm very interested in. And I tend to follow a lot of what's happening in cutting edge research via various newsletters and articles and, and journal papers. I'll just go read the abstracts because we have the internet and you can find everything for free. Like maybe not the whole paper, but the abstract is usually enough, at least for me to kind of be like, okay, like I have the basic idea of what they're doing if I want to play with it in a science fictional sense. And so I do love kind of looking at what's happening at universities and in labs that are in like very, very early stages of, you know, proof of concept and then taking that and thinking about what would happen if it became a consumer level widespread technology. Is there a, a particular one that came to you, you've noticed whether you used it or not in the book? This is one of the questions where I say, let's be careful not to spoil anything. But uh, is there is there any uh, particular thing that you find particularly interesting or particularly dangerous? that makes you go, oh, please, why, why are we doing this? Oh, in terms of, of biotech? biotech? Yeah, biotech in particular. I think any technology has the potential to be dangerous and at the same time, incredibly beneficial depending on its application. Hmm. So I believe that, you know, most biotech starts as as a medical thing, right? We use it usually the early stages because it's risky. It ends up with the people who are at highest risk and are willing to uh, endanger themselves through new technology in order to improve them, uh, their well-being in some other sphere, right? So, um, you know, we have things like pacemakers, we have uh, devices to control pain that will stimulate like your vagus nerve or your central nervous system. You know, we have They're people implants. who are, yeah, implants, people are starting to get brain implants to help with um, paralysis and regain their mobility. So, you know, these are the most vulnerable, but at the same time, the most in need of these things, right? Ocular implants for people who have various types of visual impairments, audio implants for people who have hearing impairments, all of these things tend to be, you know, at that sort of vanguard, right? And we as a society generally feel better about doing these things because we're helping people. On the flip side, you know, the military is still looking for drugs uh, to reduce pain responses in soldiers and to, you know, increase their endurance to allow pilots to handle higher G-forces without losing consciousness. Like, all of the things that come with warfare, um, AI systems to help uh, better targeting, et cetera, et cetera, right? So yeah, I think there's always two sides to, to every coin, even inclusive of you know the, the technologies that I bring forth in machinehood. 
they can be used to help and they can be used to harm and uh, and that includes the smart pills which you know was very much a uh, inspired by what was happening in the pharmaceutical industry and continues to happen but especially with you know the opioid crisis of the past decade and the fact that you have people who are very unscrupulous when it comes to making money while endangering um, social health. I, I just realized that your book, I mean, it starts off with a certain direction, like, oh, this is what this book is going to be about. And it totally could have been, and I want to read the book, tells that particular story. And then you take a left turn and go somewhere completely different. And it's still a great story. And this is, this is why we say it's a, such a, a deep and layered book. We kind of talk about... Um... We're going to talk about the relationships of beliefs next. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, um, I mean, there we, we did, before we came in, talk lightly about how there's a ton of different relationships in this book. You have, you kind of dabble in um, religion, um, beliefs. There's this kind of organic way that you develop them and feed them into the story. Um, we, I won't put any spoilers in. Um, but how did you choose the way that you know, relationships are, are portrayed and, and developed. And a little bit of that, I guess, is, you know, you've touched on. Yeah, um, some of that was just uh, book craft. Um, something I've picked up along the way is narratives and characters tend to be more interesting when they have relationships, but you're still seeing events from their individual points of view. And so, um, you know, the two main characters, uh, Walga and Nithya, are sisters-in-law, right? So Nithya is married to Walga's brother, Luis. And you get both of their points of view throughout the novel. And they're very different people, even though they are friends, they're on good terms. You know, um, Nithya is helping Walga with uh, some health problems she's having because Nithya is a biogenetic researcher. She's also a parent and, you know, managing a household, whereas Welga is like the kick-ass, you know, action hero. She's the one who's going to take down the machine hood or at least find out who they are and try to stop them from further harming society at large. So it allowed me to give, you know, the big picture stuff right through Walga's eyes and sort of the heavy action elements that are the, the more traditional narrative for this kind of story while also showing the daily life through the eyes of Nithya. What is it like to live in 2095, to cook, to clean, to bathe, to sleep, you know, all the like regular stuff that we go through. But I think it's interesting because it's the future and we haven't lived in the future. And let me get into kind of the nitty gritties into, you know, the emotions that the person feels watching these big events happening, right? Um, I think we can all relate now with the pandemic, though I wrote this book a couple of years before, um, you know, we see, we see Fauci and we see politicians and scientists who are kind of on the forefront of battling this pandemic. And the rest of us are kind of sitting at home living through it, but, you know, in our own sort of very small scale. So I wanted to be able to portray both of those. 
and still have a connection between them. So that's where the relationship came where I was like, you know, what do I want that to be? What lets me show two very different literal sides of the globe at the same time? And so I kind of wove all that together. Um, and then I, again, like to, to kind of, I guess, bring in different reactions to this particular modern society. I have Wolga's dad, who's older, he's of a different generation, you know, he has a different worldview because of that. Uh, she still loves him, he still loves her, but like they butt heads on certain things as I think most of us do with, you know, with our parents or our grandparents, our older relatives. And Nithya has a, a child who's, you know, seven turning eight in this book. And so you get to see a little bit of that, like, what is it like to have a kid in this future? You know, what are their lives like? What is parenting like? Um, all of these things are very interesting to me. So uh, I threw it all in because, because why not? <laughs> um, I think it makes for, you know, a richer experience for the reader. Uh, like you were saying in the beginning, that lived in feeling. And it was, it was interesting even as an author to sometimes emerge from writing this book and look around and be like, oh yeah, wait, it's not actually 2095. I don't have these things uh, in my house right now, like a kitchen that will cook my dinner <laughs> and a recycler that will um, break down my plates and cups and just make new ones or, you know, clothing that remakes itself. Um, all these like lovely little, little things that I kind of wish we did actually have today as a technology. And so it was, it was fun for me to, to inhabit that world through the eyes of these different people. It's funny, um, Zay read the, uh, the quote, the blurb that was from Ray Kurzweil, um, who is well-known futurist and, uh, also a polarizing individual. Um, and when he said, uh, you know, it will leave you wishing that tomorrow could arrive a little sooner. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of Ray Kurzweil, but at the same time, I was like, I don't know if that's what I would look at with this. Um, in particular, the, the gig economy that you portray in there, which um, again, I mean, try to avoid spoilers, but it's sort of a an extrapolation of where we are now. Um, and I found it both, you know, profoundly weird in the, oh, I'm visiting another land kind of way. And also I could see so many parts of it just started to feel horrifyingly inevitable um, as far as, oh my God, this is the direction we're going. Oh, that's terrible. Did you in intend this to be a cautionary tale? Um, and, and if so, if you could change something or if you had a magic wand that could make something change that would avoid that particular future in favor of a better one, what would it be? Or, or is this like an okay, am I, am I being the uh, reactionary person to be like, no, that's a terrible place to go. And everybody's is like, no, this is where it needs to go, old man. I don't know that I would recommend the future of machinehood. Um, you're hundred percent right that I was, you know, taking the trends of the past decade and like just extrapolating them, you know, in a very straightforward, very sort of linear way. And is it supposed to be cautionary? Only if you don't like it, right? Um, it's not supposed to be dystopian. It's not cautionary in that sense of like, you know, oh my gosh, we're heading in this terrible direction. Let's not go there. I don't, I'm not being, uh, I'm not trying to specifically advise that we not have this future either. I'm just kind of trying to point out that if we do continue on this road, 
this is one place we could end up, right? Like this road could sure. take us to this particular future. There are other factors in machinehood that shape this particular gig economy and, you know, the way people live. And one of those is the end of the corporation. I, I decided, you know, the corporation was an entity formed of a certain period of capitalism and consumerism. And what if it goes away and we can, you know, have distributed industry in the house again, rather than have it be centralized. And that plays into a lot of the gigness of, you know, machine hoods future, right? The fact that um, you can do a lot of things from your own home. You don't have to go to work in the sense of being employed by someone. Everything is by contract. On the one hand, sounds terrible, like less job security, you know, sort of the way we lost the pension a few decades ago, less um, less reliable and predictable income. Uh, on the other hand, greater freedom to do smaller, interesting tasks and still be compensated for it. Um, more people are able to participate in the designs of things in peer-to-peer -peer sorts of interactions, right? Without having this uh, corporate authority hanging over your head, like just thinking about, you know, American health insurance and the fact that so many people have to be employed in order to afford healthcare. Um, you know, if we get rid of that uh, legal entity of the corporation, um, not actively get rid of it, but if it goes away just by um, economic and industry means, then you know we have to find other ways to provide these services that we currently get from corporations right so everything kind of you know interrelates with each other and in terms of how i got to this particular future you know i kind of roughed out like what happens in each decade between now and and the 2090s in terms of you know having a cause and effect of like okay how do we get there from here and so if all of those dominoes don't stack up in a certain way, we're not going to get there. And I don't want to be prescriptive and say we shouldn't get there. Um, I doubt we will because the future is never the way any one of us really envisions it. But I did want to illustrate that, yeah, if we go on as we are, you know, um, if you don't like the way we're going, like now would be a good time to start thinking about how to turn away from that future. <laughs> Um, but if you do like it, like, here's what it could look like, you know, if we, if we continue down that path. Sure. Yeah, I definitely had a lot of, a little bit of this, you'd be guys, please none of that, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that was a powerful, um, another way I was relating with the characters enough that I was getting tired. Because <laughs> um, they were working so hard. <laughs> yeah. Going back to kind of relationships again, you. Um, one thing I really appreciate is uh, you. You keep. Um, you know, because this is a uh, pretty close to our modern time. You keep religion instead of these. You know, a lot of science fiction tends to just abolish religion or make this mono religion or um, it just, I think change it in ways that are unrealistic. You know, I mean, a lot of our religion has 
prevailed thousands of years. Um, but you create a, a place where there's a lot of these old beliefs. Um, and I'm wondering how do you like handle the nuances of, of portraying beliefs and these, you know, maybe subtle changes as things go um, into the future or remain the same? Yeah, I decided for kind of that reason that um, religion, I don't think religion is going away anytime soon. Um, all religions in the world are, are pretty deeply rooted in, in so many cultures. And so I wanted to kind of portray that variety, right? And, and again, with the different characters, try to give different viewpoints into how that could happen. I also find that at least amongst my friends and family, while not all of them are deeply religious, some of them are, some of them aren't, but we get a, we still get a lot of values unconsciously from religious dogma and just kind of the way it pervades society, but it also shapes things, right? Like the fact that so many hospitals are Catholic right now. Um, that means certain services are available and certain ones are harder to come by, right? And, uh, and similarly, there's a, there's a lot of conflict, social conflict, political conflict that's driven by um, religious beliefs and religious values. And so I did want to factor these in. And finally, I think it was also just the philosophical aspects of machinehood, of how we choose to treat each other, how we choose to treat the world around us. I see a lot of differences, especially between the the Western, especially the monotheistic religions versus like indigenous ones versus, you know, the ancient sort of Eastern religions that are still alive and going. And I myself uh, was brought up by an atheist and a, and a kind of agnostic Hindu. But again, a lot of my family in India are, are very, very Hindu. And coming to the U.S., you know, as a kid and being friends with people who were mostly Christian, like it was interesting just kind of seeing where some of those shifts were. Some things had parallels, some things were radically different. And so I wanted to, I guess, bring in, you know, the philosophies of these different religions as opposed to just the dogma and see how these philosophies shape our society and how they can influence our future, um, especially as it regards specifically artificial intelligence or machine intelligence and how we interact with those. You know, we have certain underlying assumptions thanks to Christianity of how things ought to be. But if you look at Buddhism, if you look at Hinduism or Shintoism or a lot of the um, First Nations views and indigenous tribes views, uh, they're very different and they would point us at very different ways of moving forward with technology, with science, with the way that we treat each other. And so I wanted to bring that in because I don't think we see that enough. I think there was there was like this brief period in maybe the 70s where um, science fiction authors, along with a lot of other people in America, were really interested in Eastern religions, right? Like the Beatles and, you know, um, Zelazny and yeah. yeah, you had this era of people kind of like, oh, look at all this cool Eastern philosophical religious stuff. And, you know, they tried to work it into their fiction, but that 
was like a blip and it, almost like a fad in some ways, right? And it went away. And so I kind of wanted to bring it back, but um, you know, in a more serious light of like, let's really examine what benefits we could gain from looking at these very old viewpoints, right? That we tend to dismiss in the name of technological progress or in the name of science. Is there some benefit we can derive that would lead us to a better tomorrow? I, I just realized when you mentioned Shintoism that you you could draw some parallels and I, and by no means am I trying to diminish anything um, to Marie Kondo's life-changing yeah. magic of tidying up with the machinehood manifesto of, you know, thanking things for doing their job and giving them appreciation and, and that whole aspect of things. 100%. I think, you know, for all that people poked fun at Marie Kondo when she got too famous. Uh, fundamentally, what she's saying is really valuable, especially in the sort of hyper consumer um, lifestyle that we've all ended up with, thanks to late stage capitalism, right? Where it's like, we must feed the machine by feeding ourselves and having more and more and more and more stuff. And it's like, what is stuff really getting us? Um, one of the things, I didn't bring this up in Machinehood because it wasn't such a thing when I was writing it, which was just four years ago now. But um, this idea of uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs, right? And these digital goods that are vaporware effectively in our old parlance, but are have become you know very, very valuable to people. And again, some people are poking fun at it and I'm kind of looking at it as like, well, it does have a big energy footprint, but it has a very low physical, like material footprint. Right, in a lot of ways. And yes, there's the semiconductors and you know the underpinnings of the technology that weaves together cryptocurrencies. But you don't have like stuff in your house that then you know becomes trash or that you have to kind of collect and preserve physically over time. And uh, this is not necessarily a bad thing considering you know the environmental impact we have on the planet with seven billion people here. I'm really glad that I didn't overstep my, I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm a big Marie Kondo fan. So I, uh, I 100% agree with that. And it's probably, I'm realizing that's probably part of why that part of the book um, spoke to me so much. Um, I know you said your next book is going to be an, entirely outside of this, um, which I'm both thrilled that, yay, there's the next book coming, but also, oh man, we're going to go away from this? Well, I want to know what happens here. Um, do you have, and I know this is one that probably been asked many times, uh, do you have plans for more machinehood universe uh, type things or maybe a shared universe kind of situation since it's so dense? I have certainly thought about turning it into a, a shared, well, shared universe, not necessarily with other people, although that could be interesting too, but more like, you know, other books set in the world of machinehood where we don't necessarily follow the same characters. Um, but yes, I, I agree. I think there's a lot I could still explore in that world and that I would enjoy exploring as uh, as interesting ideas and just viewpoints. <laughs> what, go Machine ahead. Machinehood, the role-playing game. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy. Hand it over to a game developer and let, let people turn it into a universe. Uh, like, yeah, that's, yeah, sorry. I think it would make a good video game. I think it would make a good movie, uh, you know, all in the right hands. Um, 
whether there are more books set in Machine Hood, I think will will depend uh, a lot on the publisher and how the book does. There's no plans for that. And even the far future book is still in kind of early stages. There's no specific plan or publication date for a next book at this point. But anything is possible. And I would certainly be happy to, you know, revisit the, the world of Machine Hood and write more books and more stories set in that world. Um, we are getting a little, I mean, we're past time now. We're getting to the end of our questions. So you said that you have um, time to, to chat for a little over. Um, so I'm just gonna hop on to the next question here. Um, do you have a recommended reading list for people who might wanna kind of delve into these similar concepts a little further? Yeah, I would highly recommend that after you read Machine Hood, you go and read Autonomous by Annalie Newitz. Even though they were published in the opposite order, they um, they are set in that particular chronological order. Uh, you know, Machine Hood is 2095, and I think Annalie's book is like 2140-something-ish or 30-something-ish. And, and their story really carries forward, you know, many of the thematic elements of Machine Hood. Um, I would also say that if you're willing to pick up some nonfiction, uh, Yuval Noah Harari's book, Homo Deus, has um, some really interesting thematic and philosophical resonance with, um, with the ideas in Machine Hood. He wrote Sapiens, but um, oh, okay. Sapiens is more about human history. Homo Deus is really about the next century. And, you know, there's there's some historical context in there, but uh, he's carrying forward this idea of humans and machines, the worship of data, you know, our directed sort of evolution in some ways. And um, I think, yeah, like I said, I think it's very thought-provoking. It's a very, very interesting book uh, in a lot of ways. I found a lot of resonance with Machine Hood. I had written Machine Hood before I picked up Homo Deus, but, um, but I was kind of nodding along with a lot of what was in that book. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, these are good questions <laughs> and I'm interested in, in trying to find answers to, to many of these same conundrums. And uh, I mean, you've been, you've been operating within the writing ecosystem in various roles for quite a while. Um, was there anything about this being your debut novel that you were like, oh, wow, I, I didn't expect this or, or something you wish you'd known before it happened, <laughs> aside from the fact that there was going to be a pandemic? <laughs> the pandemic has definitely uh, thrown a ginormous monkey wrench into uh, every debut novelist uh, over the past year. Um, and I, even for the non-debut, I would say, you know, every author who's had a book released uh, since March 2020, there have there have been struggles. Um, I have been very pleasantly surprised by the, the debut experience. You know, I've been doing a lot of these kinds of podcasts and Twitch streams and virtual bookstore appearances, and it's been going really well. Um, I've enjoyed it. I, you know, I definitely miss uh, interacting with people and, and like signing books for them and talking to them at conventions and, you know, all the stuff that hopefully we'll be back to a year from now. But, uh, 
it's it's just I think for me it's been a little different because I had a standalone novella come out about five years ago called Runtime from Tor.com Publishing when they were still we, and because they were so small at the time and because it wasn't a novel, you know, I didn't have audiobook, I didn't have the hardcover, like. I wasn't quite sure what to expect with this particular book release. I thought it might be, you know, like exciting, but kind of not a big deal. Um, and I feel like it's it's more of the big deal that uh, that I was hoping for. You know, people have taken pictures of the book on on bookshelves at their Barnes and Noble, and um, just talking about it, you know, a lot more in depth. I think because there's 400 pages of stuff to talk about, you know, a lot more deep dives and discussion, which is absolutely fantastic and has surprised me, but in a good way, like absolutely happy to to see it. Just wasn't sure I could count on the book getting, you know, as much attention as it has. So that's been it, great. It would be a great choice for a book club to have because you could just pick a chapter every week and have hours of discussion about it. That was... Yeah, I'm actually, um, I've been attending these uh, book club meetings uh, last week today and next Tuesday night for a group that calls themselves the Creative Destruction Lab out of the <laughs> University of Toronto. And um, they've been doing a reading series. It's not really open to the public public, but um, since last fall with the theme of on being human. And so machine had fit, you know, right in nicely in there and so it's been it's been really fun because it's a lot of academics and entrepreneurs and you know people who are really interested uh in the ideas but also who are actively working on you know our future right and so um it's, it's been a real privilege to kind of sit in and, and listen to their discussions and they'll occasionally lob some questions at me as well so it's been a lot of fun nice fantastic um, I think we're ready for the, uh, the the easy questions, the lightning round. Uh, did we ever put you through the lightning round when you were in the, in the panels? No, I don't think so. <laughs> this, is, this is just more of the, rather than, than talking about fantasy and science fiction, this is getting to know Divya as a, as a person. Um, just kind of a series of, you know, simple questions. Go ahead, Zay, take it away. All right, it can be non-alcoholic, alcoholic. What's your favorite beverage of choice? Okay, my standard beverage of choice is just, you know, a giant bottle of water that goes with me everywhere. But my favorite cocktail is probably the Negroni. The one that Stanley Tucci was infamously was... <laughs> uh, got terribly, horribly wrong in that video. <laughs> Oh, was it really? like a TikTok or something? Yeah, the stuff he put in a Negroni. I was just like, no, 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 no. That, that's not how you, that's not new. Um, it was fun to watch him do it, but I'm like, that recipe is not right. Um, and then I, I'm also, uh, you know, I, I, I love and enjoy wine and I'm a big, uh, strong ale nerd. Like I love dark beers and big beers. Nice. How about comfort food? Like, uh, what what have you like to eat if you can you know, pick whatever you'd like to enjoy? My most comforty comfort food are some of the things that actually showed up in Machine Hood that most uh, Americans would never have heard of because it's Indian food that you don't find in Indian restaurants. It's South Indian Tamil food, 
Um, but basically like rice and dal and vegetables. But I love dosas, which more people have heard of now. So I'm really excited about that, especially if you're in California. <laughs> it's something you can find in certain of the big cities uh, scattered around the U.S. And um, cake and ice cream and cookies. I have a big sweet tooth. So I've been eating a lot of cake last week and uh, it is my happy place because I bought cake. It was my, my spouse's birthday the weekend before the book launch. So we got him some cake and I got a machine hood cake and my editor sent cake. So I got a lot of cake. Oh <laughs> awesome. That's totally fantastic. awesome. Not complaining at all. I've been eating cake every day. It's the best. Yeah, we make a lot of sweets in our in our house, like from scratch. So I relate to that. Uh, we uh, we have to pawn them off on Gray. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I, I, I want to support my staff in whatever way I have to. <laughs> right. Okay. It's um, so hard. <laughs> so if I told you I'm looking for a good book this weekend to read, what would you recommend? It could be any genre, any book. Outside of the ones you already recommended. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the ones I already recommended. Well, I think before we started, I was talking about Hench, which I just finished. So it's on my brain. Um, that was uh, just a super entertaining take on the superhero thing. And, and like I was saying, everything I, I wanted the show, the boys to be, and it totally wasn't. This book uh, filled that niche. But one of my all-time favorite books of recent times has been uh, Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. That thing is a mind trip if you like cool far future big idea science fiction and also Cameron Hurley's novel The Stars Are Legion uh <laughs> Nikki Drayden's novel Escaping Exodus I think the sequel just came out or is coming out soon for that one and so I'm not all science fiction let me throw out like a bit of fantasy um Justina Ireland's Dread Nation I really enjoyed that like if you liked runtime mm -hmm. Um, or if you like, you know, action-y stuff and great main characters, that was a really fun one. Nice. Yay, Cameron Hurley. I have The Stars Are Legion with a special cover. So it was... Uh, a special cover. Yeah. Well, I, okay. <laughs> I guess I have to update. I, I almost want to uh, go and get that, but I'm on her Patreon. And when the book came out, one of the oh, conceits of the book is that, is that there is literally no male characters in it like they don't even exist in that universe and mm -hmm. so one negative review said oh this is just lesbians in space mm -hmm. and so she had the book cover exactly the same artwork exactly the same font but instead of being the stars are legion it says lesbians in space oh, i'm jealous a, yeah a i remember she was that. handing yeah. stuff out to yeah. that so that's, uh, i i love that world con that's yeah. amazing <laughs> lucky you yes uh well i uh cameron hurley is I want Cameron Hurley to be the next uh, Nora Jemison. <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be I mean, awesome. You know, Is for it? all the money and make make all of her books uh, famous. Yeah. Yeah, um, please do. And you too. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just um, starting out. Cameron has a, you know... Has, is a much more developed writer than I am at this yeah. point and deserves, I think, a lot more fame and fortune in her life, for sure. Agreed, agreed. How about uh, any TVs or movies? I mean, if I say I, I'm looking for something to binge watch this weekend, any uh, recommendations? Uh, Space Sweepers was really fun. Yes. Um, I, I won't say that it brings like any new ideas. It's not gonna necessarily challenge your thought, but it does kind of raise some of the same ethical and philosophical questions as Machinehood while it has a very, very fun 
space plot. But what I, I loved about it is just the global representation in that movie was just awesome. Like you have a future that really is, you know, inclusive. And also it's just cool to see like fun science fiction coming from outside the US. <laughs> what else? have I watched oh you know I just started watching it but uh, someone had recommended humans for me and I missed that when it first came out on uh, I think it's an Amazon original that one is pretty interesting as well and then I'll shout out a really fun kids show that um, that ties into some of these themes as well on Netflix and that's Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts awesome oh. series it does start out feeling like a kid's show, but stick with it, especially season two is really, really good. And it has a great soundtrack. Oh, music in that is awesome. Cool, thanks. So what is the most meaningful, special, it could even be like quirky or cool thing that you have around you every day? So I would say like maybe in like this office space or something. Mm. I'm gonna look around. Uh, what do I have that's fun and quirky? Okay, I will grab it. I'm gonna show it to It's like it's back here in the background. I was eyeing this up, so this is a real treat. <laughs> I was like, what I'm is a, that? <laughs> on brand, this is the MBOT. It is a little remote control device that you can download um, Blockly code to that I built with my daughter and her best friend last summer because there was no summer camp. So I'm like, we're having robotics camp at home. Yeah. Actually, maybe it was two summers ago. I can't remember now. Um, no, I think it was last summer. And so you can buy it like as a kit. It's not hideously expensive. It was like uh, 40 or 50 bucks. And, um, and the kids get to screw the parts together and then there's like a USB port and they can program it. And then it also comes with a handy dandy remote control so you can treat it like a little RC car, but uh, it's more fun to kind of code and let it kind of go on its own and do things. And uh, so that's that's a fun thing that I have. I have a Roomba too, but it's, it's battery keeps dying. So I think I need a new one. <laughs> but I definitely welcome, you know, robot labor into my life and and while i might feel a little guilty that that is robot slave labor for the time being um it sure is handy <laughs> well the last lightning ground question is the magic wand i have a magic wand which looks a lot like a lamy pen and if i wave my magic wand we can make someone appear and this person could be real or fictional from the past present or future and they would love to sit down and just have a conversation with you who would you like to have manifest if you could have one person oh that's such a hard question i have to choose one person who would i manifest uh you know at this particular moment and I think because we're talking about machinehood, um, everyone can see there's a there's this mechanical figure on the cover of the book. And if you can't recognize it, it is a Buddha statue or a person meditating. It's maybe not the Buddha. Um, I would love to talk to the Dalai Lama. Like if I could sit down and talk to him and just kind of pick his brain, you know, 
I know a lot of people have talked to him, but I kind of want to pick his brain on these science fictional ideas as opposed to, you know, the present or charity or compassion, which a lot of people talk to him about. And those are great topics. But I kind of want to see, like, what does he think? You know, he's got all his opinions on the world as it is. But like, what does he think about the world as it's coming about, you know, cybernetics, about the increasing interfaces between human and machine and, you know, these blurring of boundaries and these questions of what is life and um, and see what he thinks about that kind of stuff and discover if he's a closet science fiction nerd because that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can totally see that. <laughs> uh, great. Well, that is our, is there, is there a preferred place? Like I said, we, we're definitely uh, have it on back order at World Builders. And I know that machinehood.com also has a link to like logos and things like that. Anywhere in particular or things you want to uh, promote right now to our donors and supporters? Yeah, for sure. I would say, um, you know, if you can't buy your book from World Builders, buy from your local independent bookstore because they are super struggling right now thanks to the pandemic and lack of conventions and lack of people coming in and browsing books. And then visit Escape Pod if you like free short science fiction in audio or text. Our anthology, that's the one update I'll make to the bio. Our anthology came out a couple months ago and it celebrates 15 years of our podcast. We have, I think this week is actually episode number 775. So Escape Pod has been around for a very long time running science fiction every week. So if that's something you enjoy, go check it out. You can buy our first ever print anthology that has 15 stories from all kinds of authors who were not always big names when they graced the airwaves with us, but you know, many of whom have gone on to be very successful and we're very proud of them. Um, so that's another book you can buy if you're interested in checking out more about the kind of stories we read. Excellent. Speaking of independent bookstores, we have a Libro FM affiliation and Perfect. your book is there. I hate to tell you this, but it is ranked number 10 in the dystopian Uh, (laughs) it happens people thought runtime was dystopian too i can't help it (laughs) people well people think you know 2020 was dystopian right so and sometimes the future is dystopian just because we don't like it (laughs) (laughs) there's the takeaway quote yeah (laughs) uh well thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it and uh, we hope to have you back. It's always a delight to, to talk with you. And we appreciate all the support you've given us in our work. Thank you um, so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and where are you going to, you said you're going to be doing more. Are we, are we just a stop on your tour or? You are just a stop on the tour, but you're a good stop on the well, tour. That's all we need to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always happy to stop by and chat with you. It's great. Uh, I will say that if someone wants to hear me read an excerpt from Machine Hood, they can look up BogCon, which is normally a, a small local convention in Northern California, but they're doing some virtual events this coming weekend, including a reading with me and Juliet Wade, who's the author of Mazes of Power and its sequel. And I believe Juliet's reading from the sequel. So that's this Sunday at uh, 7 p.m. Pacific. And I think registration is free through Eventbrite. So look up BogCon. 
and then um, on Friday the 26th, I'm very excited. They haven't put up a link on their website yet, but Mysterious Galaxy Books is going to host uh, me, Primi Mohammed, Arkady Martin, and Adrian Tchaikovsky. It's going to be in the afternoon Pacific time. So I think like 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, because Adrian's in the UK. So it's a little late uh, for him. But all four of us have books out this month. It, the, all four of us were supposed to have books out last week, but I think Premies got bumped a little bit later. And somebody had tagged us on Twitter as, as saying that, you know, these four people have books coming out on the same day. Which one do I read first? I'm like, oh, we should get together and celebrate. So I think we're just going to have like a casual hangout and have fun conversations about what it's like having a book coming out in the middle of a pandemic or in the case of Arkady and Premi, I think two books coming out in the right. middle of a pandemic. I think I'm the only noob in this bunch, the only one with the first novel, but I'm very much looking forward to that coming up later this month. And then on Twitch, you can find me... Um, Last week, I think there's recorded segments with the fine people of EA Podcasts and also Mer Lafferty, who is my co-editor at Escape Pod, but she has a really good Twitch stream as well. Yeah, and then just a bunch of cool podcasts and um, blog posts and all the good stuff that kind of comes with new author publicity. Yay. Well, you look like you're enjoying it, so I'm glad to, yeah. glad to be a part of that. <laughs> Well, we're at our tune in next week segment, which is that, you know, we want your suggestions. Divya, if you could put in a good word for us with Arkady, they're on our really want to have them on World Builders Weekly list. I will do. Uh, Desolation <laughs> Called Pieces. Uh, I'm really excited about that book. But if there's any other creators, authors, gamers, developers, artists that you'd like to have us have on here, all of you listeners and watchers, please do let us know. You can always find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, all over the place. We're really easy to find. Yep. And as always, you can message questions at worldbuilders.org for any suggestions or questions. I read Zay's part of the script. That was my bad. That's okay. Uh, don't forget to stop by World Builders Market also, because everything you do there helps us to work like what we did with the Project Hope that we talked about at the very beginning, and also to help do things like sell more books for Divya and be a good member of the geek community there. So thanks for joining us. Next week here, same time, we'll be talking with Suyi Davies Okungboa, who's the author of Son of the Storm. And we will be talking with them next week here at twitch.tv slash worldbuilders. Peace, everyone. Zay, you get to do the sign-off word there. All right. Uh, Machina Moose. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to World Builders Weekly, everyone. Take care of yourselves and take care of the people you love. <laughs> <laughs>